Hello, church. It is uh, awesome to be with you all here in the worship center. Uh, all the folks that are joining us online, and uh, once again, would you welcome our overflow crowd that is in the foyer in the commons. Good to be with all of you guys. Hey, uh, did you notice that we had somebody new during doing one of our uh, welcome videos? Did you notice that? That was Erica, and Erica Schmitz did a great job, and this is like a huge day for Erica. Not only is she on the big screen, but more importantly, she's getting married this afternoon to the love of her life, Colton. So we're excited about that. <laughs> Erica serves as our uh, digital social media coordinator, and so uh, folks that are joining us online today, you've got somebody other than Erica that's engaging with you, engaging with you today. Oscar Wilde famously said, I can resist anything but temptation. You get that? There's some people who can resist anything except keeping a secret. Do you know folks like that? Where you tell them, listen, you can't tell anybody this at all. And they go, got it, you know? Lip, lips are sealed. I've locked it up tight. And then sure enough, if it gets leaked, you know who it was who opened it up and, and let it out. Today we're going to talk about an encounter that Jesus had around a guy who he said, I want you to keep a secret, and he didn't do it. And it revolves around a miracle that Jesus performed. We're in a series, we're working through sections of the gospel of Mark uh, called Simply Jesus, and we're looking at how Mark reveals to us the person of Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus, the healer. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Mark chapter 1. We'll get there in just a minute, verse 35 and following. Whenever you read Mark's Gospels, one of the things that you're going to find, we're doing Gospel readings all the way up to, uh, to Easter. And uh, we're reading all of them, and then we're studying the gospel of Mark on the weekends and in our watch groups. But one of the things you'll notice is that Mark has more accounts of miracles than the other gospels do. And Mark is really keen on making sure that you and I know the authority of Jesus. And part of the way he describes the authority of Jesus is by putting together these miracle stories of Jesus, letting us know that Jesus has authority over Nature, Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus has authority over demonic powers. And one of the things that I love about miracles is sometimes the way that we look at them, we need to kind of tilt them a bit. I love how Tim Keller talks about miracles when he says this. We modern people think of miracles, let this sink in, we think of miracles as the suspension of, na of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proof that he has power, but also Wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. 
Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. I love that. Jesus is just letting us know, hey, when all things are made new, this is going to be the natural order of things. And many of his miracles have to deal with the healing of somebody who has a disease. One more thing I want to say about Jesus and miracles is that Jesus didn't perform any miracles for his own sense of well-being. He didn't spend a miracle on anything that was self-centered. All of his miracles were focused on other individuals. Now, he could have. Jesus was in the wilderness, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights without food. The enemy comes to him, and he says, listen, if you want to, you can turn the stones into bread. Even Satan knew Jesus had the power to do a miracle to benefit himself. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that because I have my life sustained on everything that God has said. When Jesus was on the cross, he could have called down a legion of angels to rescue him from the cross, but he didn't do it. He didn't spend a miracle on himself because he knows what he needs to do is remain on the cross in order that you and I could have a substitute for our sins so that we would have someone that would take our place and provide us with the life that God has to offer us. All that being said, we're going to look at a story that really has a couple of parts. And as we get there, this is what I want you to think about. We're going to read the story, and it's going to point to two actions of Jesus. And I want you to notice the order that they're in, because the order that they're in is incredibly important. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees, begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean immediately. The leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet, <laughs> he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in the deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. Now, did you notice the order? The order was Jesus prayed and then Jesus healed. The movement of God 
happened in his connection with God first and then flowed from him second. It's something to think about. You're looking for the activity of God in your life. Don't neglect cultivating a time of personal retreat with God. So the two actions that we're going to look at are this. Number one, Jesus prioritizes personal prayer. He prioritizes it. Prior to, uh, prior to our text that we just read, Jesus was incredibly busy. How many of you have had a busy week? Show of hands. Yeah, you had a crazy busy week. When I read to you what Jesus was going through, it was crazy busy. Have you ever had one of those weeks where you said, I am just, I, I was too busy to pray? You ever do that? Wow, you guys are incredibly spiritual. Let me, let me try that again because I'm quite certain some of you have had some of those weeks like me. How many of you have ever had a week, why, it was so busy, it's like I was so busy I didn't even pray. Thank you very much. God saw that and he's honored by your honesty. I appreciate that very much. I appreciate it because now I'm in a group of folks who are just like me. So this is what was going on. As soon as they left the synagogue, Jesus had already been doing some teaching about the kingdom of God they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town assembled at the door, and he healed many of the sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Imagine you have had one of the busiest weeks of your life, and you just get finished eating, and then all of your neighbors show up and go, hey, I got a problem. Hey, my car's broke. Hey, I've got laundry. Can you help me, help me do it? Hey, my baby is crying and doing stuff. Hey, and they go on and on and on, and you're already tired after the week, and yet everybody is showing up. You would be tired, and you could say at a moment like this, listen, the last thing that I could possibly think about doing is praying. I am so busy, I forgot to pray. For Jesus, it was completely different. When Jesus got real busy, it was like, I am so busy, I have to pray. Look at what it said in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Some might ask the question, if Jesus is king, if Jesus is God the Son in human flesh, why in the world did Jesus need to pray? And that's a great question. Though Jesus was both fully human and fully God, while on earth he lived in complete dependence on the Father and the Holy Spirit. He lived in complete dependence. Jesus is the consummate human. Jesus is showing that this is how you live as a human being. You live with dependence on God. And if the Son of God felt compelled to 
steal away some time so that he could pray. Don't you think that we probably have some need as well in our own life to do the same? Prayer sustained Jesus just like prayer sustains us. Prayer guided Jesus in his decision-making just like prayer guides us when we need to make a decision. Now, when Jesus got up, he didn't get up and do like a perfunctory prayer, like a little, like, hey, God, thank you for the day. Here I am. Let's go. Uh, it says he, while it was still dark, and I know some of you go, God does not exist when it's dark in the morning, right? You are like, oh, God, it's morning. And it isn't a prayer. It's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that it's morning. Jesus got up while it was still dark. It was probably between 4 and 6 in the morning. After he'd had a crazy busy day and night, he got up and he went out to a deserted place and he prayed. We don't know what Jesus prayed, but we know to whom he prayed. Remember, his disciples asked him, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? And how did he pray? How did he say? Well, when you pray, start off by saying, say it with me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice how Jesus started. It was about intimacy with God. Before he got to a list of asking God, would you give us today our daily bread? How did Jesus pray? Jesus focused on this connection with God who is a father, who is a loving father. He focused on this sense of connection. Jesus wanted to connect his heart with God before he asked anything from the hands of God. Prayer is about first and foremost getting more of God instead of just getting things from God. That's how you deal with the busyness of life. You go, I, I, I just need some more of, of God. And what did he do? He, he had a place. And he had a time. If you want to see the activity of God in your life, make sure that you have a place where you meet with him. We moved about a year ago, and prior to where... To our moving, I had a place in the house that was my place to sit down, and this is where I met with God. You know, it would be dark, and I'd have a little light on, and it would be my chair, and so we moved to another house, and I kind of roamed around the house till I could figure out what is going to be my seat, and so I now have a seat in the house that becomes my meeting place, and it's dark, and I've got a little lamp on, and I like it because it's in silence and solitude, and do you know what I hate more than anything else when I'm trying to be silent and quiet before God and by myself? Noise. I hate noise. And do you know where the noise comes from? My neighbor's dogs. And I, I love my neighbors and I love dogs, but when their dog starts barking, do you know what happens in my house? My two little beasts in the basement begin to join them. And at that point in time, I absolutely hate animals. <laughs> it is really difficult for me to get back in the spirit of prayer because it's like it was quiet and then all of a sudden these yippy dogs are going. And so 
Anyway, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I just needed to say that. I needed a cathartic moment to just get that off my Get that off my chest. Find a place, find the time, let it be for connecting to get more of God. And this is what you'll notice when you read the Gospel of Mark in particular. You'll see Jesus doing a flurry of activity and then Jesus disengaging and meeting with God. And then after he meets with God, he goes back into this flurry of activity. You could say there's engagement and disengagement, engagement and disengagement. He goes all into ministry. He goes all out to be with God. It's a journey out and a journey in. One of the things that's really important for us is to understand is that sometimes Disengaging from the world isn't so much about getting rest for our souls. It's about getting ready to engage in more. We do our best work from rest. Elton Trueblood, a Quaker theologian, I remember this quote from about 20 years ago. It just stuck in my head. He said this, The person who is always available isn't worth much when they're available. In other words, if you're always on and you never disengage, when you have to engage, you're not going to have as much to give. If you're always on all the time, when you really need to be on, what is it that you have to give if you have not stepped back and you have once again spent time just being with God and connecting with him. Jesus made himself unavailable in order that he might be available to God. And then if you look at verse 36, this 36 through 38 fascinate me. Jesus was praying and Jesus got interrupted. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And how does Jesus respond? And what I want you to think about is that Jesus' response came from this time of being disengaged and available to the Father. His response was a wisdom-based response. They said, everybody's searching for you, Jesus. Listen, you got to get up and you got to come in. You know, all the success that we've had, everybody's showing up, everybody's coming in, word is spreading, your success is getting so many folks coming. Listen, Jesus, we need to ride the crest of the momentum wave. Opportunity only knocks once. Jesus, come on, let's get after it. And what does Jesus do? He says to them, nah. Let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. That's the reason I've come. That doesn't make sense. That wouldn't make sense to me is is if you're experiencing so much success, you say in your business doing this right thing, this one thing right here, and you go, I'm done. I'm going to go over here now. Jesus demonstrates the power of focus. He doesn't allow other people's pressure or other people's perceived opportunities as his mission. His mission is dictated by listening to the voice 
of God. This is what I'm going to do. And so he put in a boundary in his life and says, listen, I don't care what you say, and I don't care what you say. This is the reason that I have come. This is my mission on earth. And so I'm willing to walk away from what might be perceived as great success to move into the greater purposes of God. Somebody here probably needed to hear that for a very specific thing that's going on in their life right here and right now. Jesus prioritized personal prayer, and then what happened as a result of that? Jesus provides compassionate healing. The order is important. Prayer, healing. Prayer, movement of God through his life. It says in verse 39, he went to all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him, and on his knees he begged him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The ministry of Jesus is always this, preach the good news, the power of the word to change people's lives, and do acts of compassion to people, bring healing to their bones. Why does our church engage in mission and evangelism as well as local compassion and caring for the poor because we've seen the example of Jesus Christ. It isn't either or, it's both and. We follow Jesus' example. And then, if you look at this story, for the people who were there in the first century with Jesus, this was absolutely mind-blowing. This was this was. Stuff was happening that never happened. You didn't do this kind of stuff in the Jewish culture, especially if you were considered a rabbi. What takes place is a man with leprosy breaks all convention. He breaks out of all of the protocol, and he comes up to Jesus, and he begs Jesus. Understanding that Jesus has the power, he says, if you're willing you can make me clean. I don't know what you know about leprosy or Hansen's disease, but it was the most dreaded disease of the ancient world because it wasn't believed that you could get cured from that unless there was miraculous healing that took place. And so you were destined, if you had leprosy, to basically live a painful life and experience a soul crushing, being ostracized from the rest of the community until, until you died. If you had the disease and you were of the Jewish faith, you were ceremonially unclean. And what that meant is that you had to be separated from your family and your friends and the religious life of the community. And for a Jew, that was like cutting off your life. Family and faith was everything. And if you were judged to be unclean, if you had leprosy, there are certain things that you had to do. Not only did you live an isolated life from everyone, but you had to wear torn clothing. I'm not talking about jeans that had some holes in it that are fashionable. You had to tear your clothing. You had to wear bedhead hair. I mean, that's the way you did. You had bedhead and you couldn't comb your hair. It had to be intentionally unkempt. You had to cover the bottom part of your face. 
And any time you got it within a certain distance from someone, this is what you had to say. Unclean. Unclean. So as to warn people that they might be considered unclean if they get close to you. What was really interesting is that the rabbis actually went a step further and said, if you walked underneath a tree that a leper just walked under, you would be considered unclean ceremonially for a period of time. You wouldn't be able to worship. They had all of these kinds of restrictions around them. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus touches him. You didn't touch a leper or else you would be considered unclean and you couldn't worship and you couldn't be around family. But Jesus touches him. It says in verse 41, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched him. He said, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Do you know where Jesus feels your pain? He doesn't think about it. He doesn't feel it here. He feels it viscerally. To say that Jesus was moved with compassion, there's a Greek word, splagnitsamai, that means bowels of mercy. You feel it in your gut. You're so deeply deeply moved. If you've ever been in a hospital and you've seen family members hooked up with all kinds of tubes, you know what it's like just to be sick in your gut for what it is that they're going through. Jesus felt that for this man, and then he did what rabbis would not do. He reached out and he touched him. Now, it wasn't like Jesus went over to him and he goes, oh, you're healed. And it wasn't that Jesus did the man hug. Y'all know what the man hug is. Hey, how you doing, bro? One, two, three, break. He didn't do that. The force of the language is that he took hold of him. Unthinkable. Leprosy would leave you smelling very bad. It would leave you with a kind of infection that would just be you would not want to get near. And Jesus breaks all of the protocol religiously and socially, and he reaches out and he grabs a hold of this man. Jesus didn't become unclean because he touched a man with leprosy. Jesus can't be made unclean. He is the cleanser. He is the one who cleanses every single life. And imagine for a minute what it would be like if for all of your life you were ostracized and you couldn't have anybody touch you. You know the largest organ on your body? It's your skin. And doctors tell us for children when they are born, if they're going to flourish and, uh, and not suffer and not, not fully develop, they have to be touched. They have to be cared for. There's research that's been done that children that are held, children that are, that are touched, 
gain weight at a 40% rate better than children who are not. And so when children fail to thrive, they suffer from the fail to thrive syndrome, part of that can be attributed to the fact that they were never touched and they were never cared for. So here's a man who's not been touched and Jesus comes up and he touches him and you and I can't even imagine. We can't imagine what that must have done for him just to be touched. And it was as if Jesus was saying, listen, I want you to know that I look at you and I see someone more than a diseased man. I, I see someone that is valuable and has worth and needs to be cared for and needs to be hugged and needs to have a new lease on life. And so Jesus immediately cleansed this man. He was immediately made clean. Now, God always heals, but he doesn't always heal the way that we want to. Your body and mine is a miracle-working factory. We are healing ourselves all the time the way God has made our bodies. Our body is always healing itself. Sometimes we go to doctors and through the medical profession, we can experience a healing. Sometimes God does a miraculous healing that no medical doctor, no scientist can explain. And then sometimes the healing doesn't come until we are finally absent from the body and present with the Lord. This was one of those instances where Jesus immediately healed a man. Now, some of you who are listening right now are not yet followers of Jesus. And it could be one of the reasons that you're not yet a follower of Jesus because you have seen people who claim to be followers of Jesus acting in such a way that it makes it difficult for you to imagine following Christ. And maybe what you've done is you've looked at followers of Jesus who have acted anything but like Christ, and you have made this deduction in your mind. If this is the way Christians act, that must be who Jesus is like. And for some individuals, they look at Christ and they don't see a compassionate Christ. Because of us, they see a condemning Christ who doesn't care about needs. He just wants to be right and wants to condemn and ostracize. Mark tells us Jesus is not like that at all. Jesus is truthful and Jesus is engaged. He will do what others will not do. Some of us are just like the leper. As a matter of fact, we all are. We've come here today with our own sense of uncleanness. Some of us have felt ostracized by other people in life. Some of us have felt like we've had to live at a distance. Some of us have not felt as if we have been accepted. Some of us feel because of decisions that we've made that just inside our soul is so unclean. And we wonder whether or not there is a God who could love us in the condition that we're in and do anything about it. And the story is letting us know, yeah, there is a God who can, there is a God who will, there is a God who does, and his name is Jesus. He is willing to let you get your mess on him. Jesus specializes in getting in the middle of our mess, not to condemn, but to cleanse us. I love what Pastor Kent Hughes said. 
He says, the touch of Christ's pure hand on the rotting leper is a parable of the incarnation. That is when God became flesh, when Jesus became a human being. Jesus in the incarnation took on flesh, became sin for us, and thus gave us his purity. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has laid hold of our flesh. He has touched us. He has healed us. When you look at Jesus, you see him bent over this leper, and his holy hand is resting on the decaying, decaying flesh of the foul-smelling leper. And you see what Jesus did for him. He made him clean. Do you see what Jesus can do for you, how he can make you new. And after he did this, what did he do? He sternly warned him and sent him away saying, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and to offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now you, and I don't know all of what that would be like, but imagine it's like this. Jesus has healed you, and so part of what you had to do as far as the religious kind of public health protocol is you had to go to a priest, and he had to examine you, and it's like he would stamp you and say, you're given a clean bill of health after you do this. You need to go to the temple. You need to make a sacrifice to God that's a thanksgiving sacrifice. And after a period of time, I welcome you back into society. Your life is made brand new. And so it wasn't that you went to the priest to become clean. You went to the priest in order to be seen that you were clean, that you were whole, and that you were healthy. But here's the deal. Why did Jesus say this? See to it that you say nothing to anyone. You're going to find this in the gospel of Mark. Why is it that Jesus is going, shh, don't tell anybody? Why? Well, before you answer that, look at what he did. He said, see to it that you tell no one, uh, you know, go to the priest. And then what's the next verse, verse 45? Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news. Let's just pause there for a minute. Some of you are thinking this. Jesus told him to be quiet, and he's using reverse psychology. Parents do that all the time, right? You want to get your child to eat nasty broccoli, and you're going, oh, nom, 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 nom. oh it's so good. I'm not going to give you any. It's way too tasty. You would like it too much. Nom, nom, nom. And then the child goes, I want some of that. And then you go, here you go. And it's reverse psychology, right? Hello? You ever do this to somebody? Yeah, you do that. Some folks think Jesus is just doing reverse psychology. He's saying, hey, don't tell anybody because he wants him to go tell. Don't think that that's the answer here. We really don't know, but we can surmise that it probably goes something like this. Jesus is the authority for his life. Jesus knows that people will have a tendency to want to force him to be king based upon all of the things that he was doing, like the miracles. Jesus doesn't want them to focus on the miracles to the exclusion of his message, which was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
and he's saying, listen, the time isn't right. You don't need to go out and tell everybody because my time has not yet come. And it's like the leper goes, listen, I can't help myself. I have just got to go tell as many people as I can. Now, let me just pause for a minute. I don't need to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Some Christians like to read the Bible and find reasons for them not to do what the Bible says to do. So some Christians will read Mark's gospel and go, well, I should never witness to anybody about Jesus. Did you hear what he said in Mark's gospel? Shh, don't tell anyone. And they miss the point of all of the other gospels and what the book of Acts has to say and what Paul had to say. This isn't an excuse not to share the gospel. This had a very specific purpose back then and back there. So this true account of Jesus and the leper ends with a kind of a reversal of where Jesus started out and where the leper started out. It started out with the leper being in the outskirts of society and Jesus coming and Jesus being in society. The leper comes to him, Jesus heals him. The leper is eventually welcomed back into society, but what does it say about Jesus? Because this guy went out and spread the news, it said Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places. Although it is not explicit, you could say that the theme of substitution is highlighted in this. Jesus was substituted for us on the cross outside of the city. Jesus took our place. Jesus was condemned in order that we could be forgiven. Jesus was not accepted in order that we could be accepted. You and I are like the leper. Every one of us has a need that only Jesus can heal. You do not know God. Apart from him, you're not going to experience any kind of healing but God, being as gracious as he is, he comes to us and to anybody who is willing to say something like this, Jesus, I know you can. Would you change my life? Would you forgive my sin? Would you enter me into a relationship with God? Would you erase my guilt? Would you disassemble the scaffolding of shame in my life? Would you make me a brand new person? I know that you can. And all Jesus is looking for is for a willingness in our part to simply ask that kind of question. Every one of us listening right now in the presence of God, apart from Christ, could easily say, unclean. And God says, unclean no more. And immediately, the things that have marked our life can be eliminated, eliminated by his grace. Let me draw this to a close by just asking some questions. Something for us to chew on. Have I become too busy to pray? Question number two, do I have a place that I can get away to pray? 
Question three, do I pray to get something from God or to be with God? Question four, am I willing to bring my need to Jesus like the leper? Next one, do I believe Jesus can do what Jesus is willing to do? Next, will I express compassion to those in need, to those who are marginalized? Will I be Jesus to the people who are like the lepers all around me who need a touch from God? Let's pray. You are our healer. By your stripes, we have been made whole. We have been healed. You have taken the uncleanliness of our sin and you have washed us as white as wool. God, my prayer is today there will be individuals who will finally say, Jesus, I know you can. I know you're willing. Today I am willing. Today I say yes to you. And they begin their journey of being a follower of Christ. God, there are some that are listening right now who they just have a whole past that they can't get past apart from your help. And I pray that you would help them to experience a brand new day. Help us to seek you in prayer so that we can connect with you and then make us the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that needs healing. I pray this in the name of Christ. Everybody here said, amen. Wow, that was such an incredible message today. We hope you are blessed by the message and our time spent in worship. We love that you joined us today, but the time goes by so quickly. Would you do us a favor and head over to pleasantvalley.org connect and fill out that form? That'll let us know how we can serve you. We are so glad you joined us today and we hope you join us next week.